Thank you for downloading this podcast from Bromley Town Church. We pray this message will refresh and encourage you. For further information about Bromley Town Church, you can go to our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com. Good morning. Do you want to come and take your seats? Can you just trim that down just a touch? It's clip one. Whoops. Clip number one. Thank you. Just slide it down a bit. Yeah, that's it. Good morning to you. How are you all? Are you all right at the back? Good to see you right at the back. Good to see you at the front. We thank God for what he's doing amongst us. Let us pray. I'm just going to pray. And then we'll talk a little bit. Father, in the name of Jesus, we cry for your glory and for your presence to fill this place. Lord, will you break every chain? Will you break every resistance? Will you break every hindrance? Will you break every objection that raises itself up against you? Father, will you be the foremost thing in this place now, we ask in Jesus' name. Open the eyes of our hearts. Open the understanding of our minds. Cause our spirits to come alive in you, for you are our God. You are the great King. You are the mighty one of Israel. You, O Lord, are the one who is ruler, the supreme one over all things. We bow in your presence. We rejoice in you, O God. We delight ourselves in you. Come among your people. You are the God that has said, I will be your God and you will be my people. We declare ourselves to be your people. Come amongst us, O God, and show your power. Show your glory. Show yourself, O God, with signs and wonders. Show yourself in our lives, O God. We have need of you. Father, come amongst us, we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just the first thing I want to mention this morning, which is not what I'm going to speak about, but just the fact that we're 10 years on from 9-11, which is always confusing, because obviously the Americans put their dates around the other way. So we're 10 years on from 11-9, which then confuses everybody, because you don't know what we're talking about. But I mention that not just because America is remembering today, Uh, significantly what happened with the airplanes crashing into the Twin Towers, but because it was a momentous occasion in world history, and it has actually changed the destiny of of where we're going, and it's changed the shape of how nations are thinking. So it was a very significant event. But you know what was significant about it? Was the power that the hijackers had. Now, it wasn't that they had great weapons. They actually managed to hijack two planes. The power that they had was that they were prepared to lose their lives for the sake of their cause. Now, we, obviously, (laughs) are extremely distressed by the cause and the, the violence in which they met that cause out with. But there's something for us to remember, and that is the power of a surrendered life. It changes nations. What they did had a huge impact upon the United States. This was something that was on their territory, where there was an invasion on their territory. Suddenly, America felt violated. Suddenly, America felt vulnerable. 
And on the TV at the moment, there's a number of programs that are going back over those events, and you relive again. And it's said, isn't it, that people say to each other, well, where were you when that was happening? And there's a, a recalling in our minds of where we were when we first heard that news report coming out. I remember myself, I was on the phone to Charlotte. I hadn't seen any uh, TV or anything like that. I'd been in a meeting, and I just happened to ring home, and I spoke to Charlotte. And she said, Dad, there's no planes going to New York, and all the airports are closed. She was making up some stuff, which, to be honest, sounded so far beyond reality, I thought she was telling me a joke. She said, no, no, Dad, something's happened in America. Something's happened in America. And then when I got to look at the screens of the TV, and obviously, it was, suddenly, it was news 24-7. And you began to see the reality of what had happened. Now, we mourn with America and we say we want the peace over our nation. But let's not forget the power of a surrendered life. When it's surrendered for wickedness, it causes destruction. When it's surrendered to God, it brings hope, it brings life, it brings vitality. And we here in this house, as Christians, we have one desire, to surrender our lives. To him, that he, the King of all kings, can come and use us for his purpose. That means in our lives that there's, there's junk that needs to be got rid of. There's space that needs to be made so that the King of glory, the Lord of all creation, the one who is known as love itself, can start to come. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life his friends. Isn't it horrible to think that the glory of what Jesus did and the power of what Jesus did in laying down his life in this day and age, in this day and age, is being mirrored by evil for the purposes of evil. Let's remember this day and be drawn to what we need to do with God. Well, Welcome back to a new term. I know last week we said we're into September and there was the prospect of everybody getting back to normal. This week, normality, I believe, has come. Now, some may be certainly regretting that fact. As uh, mums, it's now time to make sure that sandwiches are made at certain times before the kids go out to school. And, and there's all the bits and pieces that need to be got together and there's no more slumbering in bed for our students as they're required to get to courses and actually go to lectures and things like that. There's change that's come. Not always is it welcomed, but often it is welcomed because there is a real sense in families, although we're getting back to normality. It's great to have the break for summer, but it's also great to be back in a, in a place where we know what is going on, where we know where we're at, where we can say, okay, now I know what I'm doing. And there are routines in our lives which are good for us because routine helps us to remember things. When we get out of routine, sometimes things that we want to do get forgotten. When we get back into our routines, we come back, as it were, to a stable pathway. And this morning, I want to reflect a little bit upon the fact that our Christian life is a journey. And there's routine in journey. There's discipline in journey. There's all sorts of things in journey, but I want to look at three particular points this morning, just along the, uh, the, the topic, if you like, of the journey, a journey that we are on in our Christian lives. Point number one, and I don't often have points, but today there are three points. So there you go. That's just coming back to normality, so you know where you are, and you can anchor yourself on something. First of all, my first point is this. Keep the reason for our journey in sight. 
We need to keep the reason for our journey. When you're going on a journey, you need to remember what you're going to. You need to know exactly where you're going to go to. Otherwise, you're not going to reach your destination. And for us as Christians, we need to remember constantly and we need to remind ourselves constantly what our journey is all about. Because otherwise we get distracted, we get sidelined, we go on to a lay-by or something and things slow down and even come to a, a grinding halt and we forget actually the destination that we are headed for. The destination that we are headed for and the focus of our attention and the mobile phone that's going off in the front row. But we're going to ignore it, Dave, because you're going to get there in a minute. That's fine. Dave, don't worry about it, mate, okay? There's a first time for everything. But if it happens again, well, we know. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Keep the reason for our journey in sight. Jesus Christ is coming again. He is coming to take his people to be with himself forever. There is a destiny, there is a focus, there is an end point in the journey that we are on. It's also true to say that for us, there are so many distractions of comfort, so many eases of life, so many pleasures that we are able to avail ourselves of, so little persecution of our lives, that actually that focus can get quickly lost by us. You see, when you are persecuted and there is seeming so much pressure and hardship and difficulty about you being able to have your faith, the one thing you are hoping and laying hold of is the fact that Jesus is coming. He is going to come and take me out of this situation. But you know, when we have a situation where we're like, wow, I don't really, I'm in comfort. I've got food in the fridge. I've got, everything seems to be on. I've got clothes on my back. I've got the central heating. Hopefully it will work if we switch it on because obviously coming up to that time of year when we want it to work. All of those things that we have, we have comforts that are surrounding us and the niceties and the pleasantries of the life which we are blessed to be able to receive. But because we don't have any persecution, we can get sidetracked so easily on our journey. We need to keep the focus of our journey in sight. And that is that Jesus Christ is coming again. John 14:1, which Nicodemus read to us last week, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. God has got a mansion of all mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, just listen to this, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This is God. In the form of Jesus Christ, who is saying to his disciples, guys, I'm going, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you so that you may come and be with me. We have a glorious hope, and there is a reason, there is a destiny of the journey that we are going to, and that is that we are going to have a place in heaven, with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with joy, without tears, forevermore. That is the destiny of our journey. But this is in stark contrast with the passage in Matthew that talks about the sheep and the goats. Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, 41, it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There is a journey, there is a destiny, 
But to reach that destiny, there needs to be faith and trust in an almighty God. We need to have come to a point of forgiving, finding forgiveness for our sins, of finding release from the things that have cluttered our lives. And there's a stark contrast with that. So therefore, with these scriptures in mind, and knowing that there are two sides to the end destiny of any person's life, there is the prospect of the fire of hell, or is the glory of a place in heaven. Jesus has said to his followers, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. There is a reason for our journey. The reason for our journey is to make that hope of heaven secure. And we need to hold on to that point in mind. We need to focus on the important things, therefore, in our lives. We need to focus upon the things that we have been called to do, because that is important for us. The lost need to be found. That's what we've been called to. We've been called to disciple the nations. Matthew 28, verse 29, go and make disciples of all nations. Here we've got Clive this morning just sharing something that's happening in the office. It's just normal stuff. He wasn't going out of his way to have a sign on his desk that says, I am a Christian, please ask me about the way of life and eternal. He had a book in a bag. And yet God was still able to use that situation. The lost need to be found. Have we forgotten about the journey that we're on? That it's not just the selfishness of ourselves that we're thinking of, but the destiny of others? Are we concerned about others? Have we forgotten the command of Jesus Christ, which was that we were to love our neighbor as ourself? Oh, I love my neighbor so much, I don't care if he gets roasted. What are we thinking about? There is a journey. There is a destiny. And as we're on that journey, we need to remember the things that God has called us to. He has said that the lost need to be found. And as they are found, they need to be discipled so that they also may bring others to know Jesus Christ. We as a people want to plunder, as Reinhard Bonker said. He said, I, my task is to plunder hell that I might populate heaven. And that is the reason, and one of the reasons that we're on this journey, because we want to see that come to pass. We want to see that hell is, the number of people going to hell is suddenly being diminished and diminished. We are plundering the gates of the enemy that we might populate the house of heaven. That is the task that we're on. We need to keep ourselves focused on this journey. We need to keep the reason for our journey in sight. You know, as you read through the Bible, you obviously read the story of the children of Israel. How that they went with Joseph into Israel to escape the famine. And there in Israel, uh, there in Egypt, I beg your pardon, there in Egypt they were formed into a nation. And they became a great nation. But they became a nation that was in slavery to the Egyptians. The children of Israel were given a journey, but they lost sight of their journey. Let me just read this to you. Exodus 3. Exodus 3 talks about the, the connection that Moses had with God. And there he had this burning bush experience where the fire was igniting this bush, but it wasn't being consumed. And so he turned to it, and then God starts to speak to him. And God says this to Moses. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good, spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and every other ite that might have been there. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What was the journey that was described for the children of Israel? The journey was this, the starting point was their captivity. The breaking out of that captivity was part of the journey. But it wasn't just that. They were coming out of captivity to be taken into a land which was going to become their very own. A land that was full of milk and honey. A land that was abundant in all that it could produce. A land that they could call their own. A land where they could become a people with their own identity, that they could actually have their families and their, all of their livelihood together in one place and in being prosperous in that place. That was the journey that they were going on. God says, I'm going to send Moses and he's going to call you out and he's going to take you into this promised land. And on the way there, you are going to go to this mountain and you are going to worship me and I am going to meet with you there. So that you go into the land as a prepared people, as a people knowing my laws, my commands. They had a journey. But the children of Israel lost sight of the end point of their journey half the way through. They were taken out of Egypt with signs and wonders by the mighty hand of God. God delivered them. Amazingly. And when you read that story, you see how God dealt with Moses and how patient Moses was. You see, actually, how God was always in control. You know, when Moses went to see Pharaoh, first of all, and he said, oh, I've come to ask, you know, let my people go. He probably said it a bit more strongly than that, actually. Let my people go. And Pharaoh responds like, go? If they've got time to go, they're not doing enough work. Let's up the workload. And Moses suddenly has difficulty on his hands. He's now dealing with all of the people, the leaders of Israel, who are saying like, look what pain you've brought upon us. We were in enough pain anyway, and now this has happened. But then God says to Moses, I'm going to do some miracles. Throw down your staff, the one I showed you, that will become a snake when it hits the ground. Throw that down. You show Pharaoh just exactly what sort of a God I am. You can imagine Moses, can't you, with his staff. Hey, Pharaoh, let my people go. Ta-da! His staff hits the ground. Would have made a, a, a noise as it hit the ground. As it hits the ground and makes the noise, suddenly it becomes a snake. But the magicians and those who are around Pharaoh, they said, oh, we can do that. How do you think Moses felt? God was relaxed because he knew there was more to come. But it's just interesting, isn't it? Sometimes when we press in on things, we think that God doesn't know what he's about. It all seems to have gone wrong. God, I started on this journey, but now things seem to be going wrong. Things don't seem to be going the way I, I wanted them to go. Are you really in control? Well, couldn't Moses have said that to God? God, excuse me. <laughs> you said you were going to get your people go. I've got a few problems here. The snake thing, which I thought was pretty good, seems to have been like, you know, abused. I mean, they can all do it. God says, don't worry, go down to the river. Go down to the river. Here's one. We're going to turn it into blood. So Moses goes down to the river. 
lifts up his staff, the, the water of the river Nile, their sacred river, becomes his blood. The only problem was that their magicians were able to do the same thing. So now we've had a hit of two, and, and okay, there's been some miracles happening here, but there's no movement. But as we see the signs and wonders start to carry on, I think it was the gnats that God said, okay, there's going to be gnats sent across the nation. That at that point, the magicians began to say, oh, this one's beyond us. This could be God. And there starts to become a change. But out of the nation of Egypt, through signs and wonders, and just as an aside, I think one of the most amazing of those miracles wasn't like hailstones that were killing people and animals, was the darkness. Because we can't understand how that could have come to pass. How can you have darkness that is so dark that basically people were just staying where they were? That's dark. Because we can't, we've got no comprehension of that level of darkness. And then to think that that level of darkness was within a confined area because the people in the land of Goshen, the Israelites, were able to see, how does God do that? But he can do it. And through signs and wonders and miracles, he brought out his people from their captivity. And there they are, they're on their way. They're going to the mountain. They're going to worship God. They've left Egypt behind. They have seen all sorts of other wonders happening. The Red Sea opening to them. Walking through on dry ground. You've all been to the beach, or many of you have probably been to the beach over summer. You know the sand at the edge of the beach? It, it sort of leaves the imprints, or as you get closer to the water, the imprints go very quickly because the sand is so sodden. You'd have expected it to have been like that, but it wasn't. It was dry because God can make a way where there is no way. He is that sort of a God. And just, oh, by the way, also, the, is, uh, the Egyptian army are coming along, but don't worry, even though they were worried, because they came into the water, or onto the dry land with the water uh, beside them, and God, of course, brings the water on top of them and wipes out the Egyptian army. I actually feel sorry. I do actually feel sorry for Egypt, okay? Because they were utterly ruined. Utterly ruined. Some of the plagues were about locusts coming to eat. The land had been eaten. Everything had been destroyed. On the way out, God had said to the people, ask the Egyptians for their jewelry and their belongings. And they were so sick of the. They wanted them out. So they were saying, yeah, take it. Just take it. Gold, take it. Get, they're getting rid of all their gold and silver to the Israelites as they left. And then their army is completely removed. When God says goodbye to something, he says goodbye to it. Our God has the ability to utterly destroy his enemies. He is the God that we serve. He is the God that we're on a journey with. The Israelites, though, they come out of all of this. They've got the experience of all of this. They're a short way out into the desert, having left that behind, and we read this of them. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us up into this desert 
to starve this entire assembly to death. A short while into their journey, and they've completely forgotten about their destiny. They've completely forgotten about where they're going. All they can think about is where they've come from. And actually, what's worse, all they can think about is where they've come from and why aren't we back there? What, back in slavery? Back in bondage? Oh yeah, but we had some nice things to eat. So all you can think about is your stomach? Is that the most important thing in life? Have you forgotten about the fact that you are in slavery, you had no land, you were under oppression, you didn't have a place that you could call your own, life was looking dark and desperate, and yet you want to go back? What causes people to forget? They had seen the wonders and the miracles. But you know, as I was thinking about this, I thought, have we not seen miracles? I know we want to see more. I know we want to see more people being healed. But there are testimonies of people being healed. There's testimonies of lives being transformed by the power of what God has done. We have seen it in this place of people who've come into here. And over time, we're watching their lives blossom and transform as God works upon them, removing the attachments they used to have, transforming them. Have we not seen miracles of God? Has he not done miracles for us in the fact that we're not lost in the world? We're not in bondage to the things that used to hold us captive. We're no longer just walking the way of all there is in life is enjoyment and sex and, and, and advancement in my job. That that's all I've got to go for. Have we forgotten the miracle that God has brought us to? And yet we also so easily forget the destiny of where we're supposed to be going. Are the lost being found? Are we taking time to share our faith? Are we asking God that he might do his wonders through us? Or are we now thinking about, you know what? Oh, it's not church this morning. Oh, I haven't got to pray, have I? Oh, my goodness, no. I just fancy going and sitting down. What's on TV? What can I eat? What can I satisfy myself? Have we forgotten the reason for our journey? Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Sometimes we let our hearts get troubled. We get troubled by the fact that we don't seem to think things are going our way. And we've lost our sense of trust. We need to trust in God. Not things, not experiences. We need to trust in God. His word is secure. His word will carry us through. When he said to Moses, I'm going to bring my people out of Egypt, he meant it. But he just didn't do it the way that we might have done. But did he bring them out? Yes, he did. He fulfilled his word. He actually did more than they were expecting. Because that is God. Folks, as we're in this journey with God, we need to keep ourselves trusting in him. We need to keep our eyes focused on him. Matthew 24, 42 to 44 says this, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. 
You know, I mention this scripture because we need to get hold of this and to stop being deceived by the world and its systems. When Jesus gives us commands and gives us instructions, should we not take note of it? Or are we going to start arguing against it? Now it's true to say, if I was to say to you, are you ready for the Lord's return? He could be coming today, but then again, he could be coming in 10 years' time. I don't know when he's coming. So suddenly, complacency can get hold of us. Well, it could be today, but I don't think it's going to be. For, after all, I've lived so much of my life already. You know, it could be 10 years from now. And how are we going to prepare? What are we going to do? Look, we mustn't concentrate on that. We'll put that to one side because we just don't know about it. Is that what Jesus tells us to do? No, it's not. It's not at all. The spirit of complacency comes upon us because we ignore the truth of the word of God. Jesus says, be ready. Be ready. Be ready. What, what if you don't come tomorrow? He says, it doesn't matter whether I'm not coming tomorrow. I haven't asked you about that. I've asked you to obey my commands. You know what? Is the Bible a book of suggestions? Does Jesus just make suggestions? Look, I tell you what, if you'd like to have eternal life, I've got a suggestion for you. If you want to come and be in heaven, I've got a suggestion for you. No, he doesn't say that. He issues commands, which can be obeyed or they can be disobeyed. We need to get hold of it. It's not because, do we wrestle with these things? Do I wrestle with these things? Absolutely. Do I vacillate in sometimes feeling like, yes, I need to be prepared, and at times I feel like, oh, it doesn't matter, I don't know. Yes, I do. Because we're human beings. But we're on a journey and we need to keep ourselves focused on the end point, the destiny of where we're going, the calling of God, so that we don't miss out. It's an important journey that we're on. It's a necessary journey that we're on. It's a delightful journey that we're on. It's an enjoyable journey that we're on. But it's also a journey that at times is dangerous when there are waves of complacency. There are waves of distraction. There are things that can come upon us that can take us away. We need to speak and proclaim the truth. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. And as Jesus says, trust also in me. That means giving ourselves to him. Believing him. And letting our hearts be anchored in him. We need to keep the reason for our journey in sight. Secondly, tiredness can kill. Take a break. If you've driven on the motorway at all this summer or any time, you would have seen, usually I've worked out about two miles ahead of a service station, it has this sign that says, tiredness can kill, take a break. And the idea being, it's a sort of an advert really, but nevertheless, it's a warning there for us because we know, and many of us have struggled, I know I have, with your driving, you're getting tired, you are getting very tired, and you're not really the height of concentration. There is that sense in which you could nod off and you can't really afford for that to happen. In actual fact, there have been many accidents where that's all it's taken. Somebody has just nodded off, the steering wheel gets slipped to one side and they drive into another car and then there's an accident. People can get killed by that. Even people can go across the, the central reservation into another car because you're traveling at quite some speed. We know that these things can happen. Therefore, that warning is what it is. It is a warning. Tiredness can kill, take a break. Now, it's not only a warning in the natural as far as our driving on a motorway is concerned, but the same thing is true 
in terms of our spiritual lives. Slumber in our spiritual journey is equally dangerous, and we need to take a break. Now, let's ask a question here. What sort of a break do we need to take? Because when you see that sense of, you need to take a break, well, I need just to put my feet up. But you know, the point on the motorway of somebody saying to the driver through that sign, you need to take a break, is that what they're saying is, you need to come aside for a time and refresh yourself so that you may get refocused, so that you may come fully awake, so that your senses can be alert, so you are ready for the journey that you are on, so that you are prepared and ready to be able to make the end destiny. That's why you need to take a break. So you pull into the service station and you go and have a cup of coffee or you sit down. And even if it's just for 10 or 15 minutes or even if you just drive into the car park and just fall asleep. I've done that before now. And have five minutes sleep and then you're ready again. But it's that sense of taking a break. You refresh yourself so that you're ready to carry on the journey. Spiritually, we need to be looking to refresh ourselves so that we are alert, awake, refreshed and ready to pursue the things of God that he has called us to, not just putting our feet up and doing nothing. We're leaving the holiday period. Many people have had the opportunity of having a break or having a short time away from work. But you know, that's not the same as renewing ourselves spiritually. It's a change of routine. You're no longer going to the office. You're no longer driving uh, to work or getting the train or the bus or whatever it is. You're no longer going through that same thing. You've got away from that environment and you've had some space which you can call your own. And you've had some time where you're not having the same pressures and perhaps you can think a little bit more. Perhaps you can sit and read a book or play with the kids or do something as a family or something like that. You've had that opportunity. But you know, that isn't necessarily the sort of break that is going to help you spiritually. Spiritually, you need to get yourself alive with God. Hosea 10 says it is time for us to seek the Lord until he comes and rains down righteousness. It is time for us to seek him until we see a result of our seeking, until he rains down his righteousness upon him. Do you feel, do you feel spiritually alert, vibrant and well? If you do, hallelujah. That's really good news. But what if you don't? Further on in Hosea, Hosea 14, verse 1 and 2 says this, Return, O Israel, return to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins. Receive us graciously so that we may offer the fruit of our lips. I love that. If we're not in a place where we are spiritually alert and awake, that we're in a place where we're safe for what God is wanting to do, then we need to make sure we take a break. We need to make sure that we come to him and we get ourselves revived. Is sin always the root of it? To be honest, yes. Sin is separated. It separates us from God. It deceives, it blinds, it masks. You know, just like on that motorway, why is that sign there, tiredness can kill? Because tiredness starts to stop you being so able to react. Your reactions become slower. Your abilities get numbed. Your senses are dulled. 
That's one of the problems. You're no longer alert to that lorry that's just coming up on the outside lane. Whoa, where did that come from? I didn't see it. You didn't mean for that to happen, but that is what happens because slumber has come upon you. The same thing can happen to us spiritually. Slumber can come upon us, but I'm still attending church. Well, great. You're still driving the car. A bit wobbly. But are you alert and able to press into the things that God has for you to walk in? Because he has prepared and planned the things that we need to walk in, the works that he has called for us to do, have been established before we were born. There are things that God is looking for us to do. Even if it's, I just left the book in a bag on my desk. There are things that are known to God that he says, I can use that for my purpose. But if you're slumbering, if you're unaware if you just let it pass you by, if you just let a few sins, or, you know, the dullness of those few sins that you haven't quite got away from, they're starting to numb you. If that's the case, then we can start to slumber. We need to take a break. We need to come back with our words. It says, take words with you. It's time to come back to God and say, God, here I am. I've come to speak with you. I've come to tell you what the problems are. He's not looking for you to have the answers. He's looking for you to confess the problem. Lord, I thought I was near to you, but I feel far away from you. Lord, my life is a mess. You've set this amazing journey up for me, and I feel as though the wheels have fallen off my vehicle. As Colin said at the beginning, look, we have an amazing God who is here to care for us but he has a heart's desire that we make it to the end. He has a destiny for us to get. And he wants us to be awakened and revived and ready that we may get to the end of that destiny. Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I have come that they might have life and have life to the full. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the sort of life that Jesus is promising us, that Jesus is wanting for us. When we see that we don't have that, we have a right to turn to him and say, God, what's going on? And indeed, we should be, without any fear or any embarrassment, because he, as our heavenly father, wants the best for us. With your children, when you've got the opportunity to give them the best, do you deliberately give them the second best? <laughs> I'm going to give them the second best. This is not, I'm going to give them, this, you know, no, you give them the very best that you can. Because you love them. That's the heart of the father. The heart of the father towards his children is not to say second best for that one. The heart of the father is to say, how can I bring them into the fullness of what I have for them? The father wants us to have life and to have life in all of its fullness. If we now, even this morning, are saying, I haven't got that life, then it's time to come to him. We need a break. We need to come to him and get spiritually refreshed and renewed.
Because his heart is to say, I have purposes for you. I have a destiny for you. You are my beloved one. I love you with all of my heart. I want to see you reach the full potential that I have for you. I want you to know that life. I want you to shine with that life. I want that life to be so vibrant in you that others are saying, for goodness sake, what is it with you? Because he wants to see hell being plundered and heaven being populated. You know, if we are tired on the motorway and we do nothing about it, we could be damaging other people's lives by our own foolishness. Now, the same can be said spiritually. We're going to carry on in a slumbering situation, not taking any notice of the vibrancy of the life that Christ has for us. We could be damaging other people because they could be looking to us Hey, this person's a Christian. Let me see what, is there any answers in their life? That doesn't seem, they don't seem to be really any different from me. What's all that about? We could be damaging other people's lives. Time, let's turn into the service then. Let's have a break. Let's renew ourselves spiritually. Let's just ask God, God, what is it that you're speaking to me about? What is it you're challenging me about? Let's pull over. Let's take a bit of time out. Let's get ourselves refreshed so we can get back onto the journey and get headed for the end that he has. Isaiah 40, 31 says this, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen, if there's no waiting upon him, there can be no renewal from him. There is work for us to do. From the point of view, it's time for us to present ourselves before him. Here I am. Lord, please help me. I need to come back to you. Keep the reason for our journey in sight. Tiredness can kill. Take a break. And thirdly, keep your navigation system switched on. The joys in families these days is known on a car journey as a sat-nav. And I say the joy because that helps to alleviate the age-old problem of the argument over the map where the person driving is receiving instruction, where the person in the passenger seat is giving instruction, and somehow there's a wall of confusion between the two. I told you to turn left. What did you say, left? I've gone right. There's all of those, where do you mean? How is it? Where is this roundabout? You know those stories that we've been through. The age of the satellite navigation system is supposed to alleviate all of those frustrations. It's supposed to bring bliss upon marriages. It's supposed to bring bliss again between friendships. That people now know that the passenger is absolved and it now becomes an argument between the voice that is coming out of the screen in front of you and the driver himself. And believe you me, there is still confusion in my, in my understanding that can reign between those two. But the satellite navigation system has been a great godsend. Yes, let's use that word. 
because it has been. It's been a tremendous help to us all. You just put in the postal code or whatever and it starts to direct you to where you're going. Spiritually, we have been given a navigation system. It is not some voice from the TV who's calmly giving us instructions, but it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The reason that I am going away is that I might send him to you. One who is just like me, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, who has come to be with you and will be in you, is what Jesus told his disciples. So it's not even that we've got to have it stuck on our foreheads, as it were. This navigation system is in us. The Holy Spirit of God has come to dwell in us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If I'm on a journey and I've got somewhere where I find I'm in the wrong place, I'm not quite sure, I've lost sight of where I'm going to go, I don't know the neighborhood where I'm in, I can start to call upon the Holy Spirit. This week I had to go to a street pastor's meeting in Maidstone. I went to Maidstone. I don't think I've ever been to Maidstone. I had a sat-nav, and you know what? I was one step above the sat-nav, so I refused to switch it on, and I looked at the instructions that had been given to me. Anyway, when I was 10 miles away from where I should have been, I actually humbled myself. I pulled over, and I switched it on, and I got back on track. Praise the Lord. Sometimes it takes us to humble ourselves and to stop trying to read the map because we keep getting it wrong. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, this brings us straight away to another point, and that is, if I was to ask every one of you who are Christians here, to say, are you prepared to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit? You'd say, yes, we are. Do you feel as though he's given you instructions today of what you should do? Because we're not always sure. Now, I actually have been thinking about this. One of the things is that we do hear from the Holy Spirit. We don't always believe where he wants to take. Now, I have received the same thing with my sat-nav. When we were on holiday this year, we went out to my sister's. Uh, my sister's got a place in Portugal, and we were able to go there. And uh, this year, I had a sat-nav with me. Last time, I didn't. Last time, I knew the way. This time, because I knew the way, I still put the sat-nav on. Now, what I didn't know is the sat-nav took me slightly differently. And I can tell you, I was confused. Helen will know this, because I was getting slightly stressed because we were going down these roads, this isn't where I've been before. So all I could think of is, this is taking me wrong. And for some reason, I thought, you know how it, you sort of try to get your own geo-navigation system going in your mind? So I'd switched that on, and we came to this junction, and I said, right, we're going to go this way. And Helen's saying, it's that way. And the sat-nav was saying that way, actually. But I wanted to, I wanted, no, this is the way, because I just couldn't get it, and I was confused. Okay, I did bow to the sat-nav and to Helen, which is very sensible. And I'm glad to say we arrived at our destination without any further problem, because suddenly we got back onto the normal road and everything was sorted out. But nevertheless, there was that point where I thought, like, I know better than this. And I had received instruction to the contrary. Now, actually, I believe the Holy Spirit has been speaking 
over the last few days, over the last few weeks, to every one of us, giving us instructions about what we should be doing. But there could be a problem. For some, you might have got hold of that, and you say, I can hear that, I'm going that way, I'm prepared for this. Others of you, you might be wrestling, saying, I'm not sure that's you, Holy Spirit. You really asked me to do that? You are you really telling me to go that way? I don't know about that. I'm going to carry on this way. And there's a real battle that's going on. We need to surrender ourselves. Last week, Nicodemus was talking about the need for surrender. And you know what? You can talk a lot about that word, but understanding it is what we need. Surrender is when you are receiving instruction and you're no longer objecting to them. You're coming under them, and you're obeying them. We fight so much with the instructions that are being given to us. God, I don't believe you're saying that to me. You're asking me to do what? Fast? No, I couldn't have heard that correctly. Whew, no. <laughs> it's tea time anyway. You're asking me to pray? I don't feel like it. Who ever said that feelings were involved it's about obedience. Obedience and being subject to obedience does create feelings, but it's not about feelings. It creates all sorts of feelings. What has the Holy Spirit been saying to you? Our navigation system has given us these promises. Psalm 32, verses eight, verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. That is a maker's guarantee. That's what it says the navigation system is going to do. In John 16, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. So you see, in our lives... The argument we often have is, I don't necessarily believe what you're telling me is right. And therefore I'm going to ignore it until I hear something better. With my sat-nav, when you switch it on, in a car park or something like that, what it says is this, it says, proceed to the highlighted route. If I do nothing, it tells me nothing more. And I thought to myself, you know, I think the Holy Spirit is like that. He says, I want you to do this. And then I'm waiting. <laughs> if you want more instructions, you need to come along. And you know what? If I start moving in my car and I go the wrong way, it says something like recalculating or at the nearest opportunity to make a U-turn. It gives me an instruction. Even if that instruction is telling me you're going the wrong way. We need to think about this. The Holy Spirit is giving us things to do. We need to take note of them and start moving. Even if that point, what if I get it wrong, what's going to happen to me? I think if you get it wrong, the Holy Spirit's going to say, you're going the wrong way. You need to make a U-turn. But when we go the right way, you suddenly get the flow of instructions. Right, at the next roundabout, take the second exit. At the next roundabout, go straight ahead. It never says go straight ahead. I always want it to say straight ahead, but it doesn't. That's the point. I always get confused. Why don't you just tell me to go straight ahead? That's what I would have said. But there again, they don't know everything, do they? 
the Holy Spirit, our navigation system, will guide us into all truth. It will teach us and instruct us in the way that we are to go. There's only one problem we've got with it, if whether we want to believe what the Holy Spirit is saying, or whether we want to ignore it. What the Holy Spirit is giving us is promises, not suggestions. We need to lay hold of them. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Is he saying to you it's time for you to change your ways? Is the Holy Spirit calling you to give your life to Jesus Christ because you've never done that? Is the Holy Spirit calling you to get back to a place of refreshment with God? Is the Holy Spirit calling you to prayer? Is the Holy Spirit calling you to serve your neighbor? Is the Holy Spirit calling you to stop being selfish and to pay attention to some other people for a, for a time? Is the Holy Spirit telling you to humble yourself because you don't know all the answers so that you might listen to his instructions? I don't know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, but I do believe this. He's not ignoring you and he's not leaving you out. You see, I know that for every person, every person, not just whether you're a Christian or not, God has a vested interest in you. Because every person has been created by him and for him, for his purposes. Every person. God himself is desiring to see the fulfillment of his purposes coming to pass in our lives. He has a vested interest to communicate to us and to lead us in the way that we are going to go. So I know that he, from his perspective, will be doing all that he can to draw us to himself. We need to make sure that we are responding. Obedience. What does obedience look like? Let me read this story to you. I'm nearly finished here. Matthew 21, verse 28. What do you think, said Jesus? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, Go and work in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? And Jesus was asking this of the Pharisees. The first, they said. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after this, or even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe in him. Firstly, obedience, what does it look like? Obedience is not necessarily what you say, it's what you do. And obedience is when you're told to do something and you go away and do what you have been told to do. So you might complain, all sorts of statements you might make in the the in-between time. But actually obedience is hearing a command and fulfilling that command. Now equally so, and we need to highlight this, what is disobedience? Disobedience is hearing the command and not doing what you've been asked to do. There's no midway ground, okay? You have either obeyed or you have disobeyed. What if I obey in part, you haven't fully obeyed? When it comes to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not interested in part obedience. I thought about praying. 
No, I want you to pray. I want time with you. I want relationship with you. I want you to stop doing that. I want you to come away from those friendships. I want you to leave that job. I want you to start doing this. I want you to share your faith. I want you to stop being timid about who you are in me. I want you to lift up my name. I want you to proclaim to the nations the glory of God. I want you to declare to the people. I want you to speak to the person that you sit next to on the train every day about me. Now, some of you might have even heard something like that, and you'd be thinking, like, I could do all sorts of things, but not that. You know, you go wobbly everywhere. What are they going to say? What are they going to think? Who am I going to be? How, how are they going to treat me? They're going to reject me for the rest of my life. I can't do that. I can't do that, Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, the purpose of God that has been written for your life is lying ahead of you. Now get on and do it. Is it about you? No, it's not. I no longer belong to me. I belong to him who died for me, who gave his life for me, who transformed me that I might live for his purpose. Let's keep our navigation system switched on and let's seek to obey its commands. Keep the reason for our journey in sight. Tiredness can kill. Take a break. Keep your navigation system switched on. We're just going to turn to God now. I want to have a couple of moments of quiet and then I'm going to start praying. And I'd like you to pray along with me. Not my prayers, but pray your own prayers. A couple of moments of quiet, because let's just ask the Holy Spirit to come and to remind us and to challenge us about the things that he has been speaking to us about. They're going to be different for us. Some will be the same, but there are things that the Holy Spirit has been saying to you. It's time for us to do what he is asking us to do. Time for us to walk in his ways. Father, we ask that you would come amongst us. Holy Spirit, what you are speaking to us, will you make known again? Will you repeat your commands? Will you underline what you are saying? Will you challenge us again? Lord, the things... Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or you're after more information about Bromley Town Church, do visit our website, www.bromleytownchurch.com.